Jordan. I'm one of the ministers uh, in this church, and so uh, we'll be talking about David and Goliath and some of these things in just a few moments. But before we do, there are a couple things I want you to know about. Uh, we've got some really exciting things coming up in the fall that we want you to be aware of. Uh, some of you may not be aware that we're having a marriage event that I keep getting up here and telling you about, uh, but I'm going to keep doing it because I think it's going to be great. I really do. I think this is going to be a great uh, day and a half of really focusing on making our marriages all that they can be, uh, making them a lot better, grounding them in the things that they need to be grounded in. And so the weekend of September 2nd and 3rd, yes, that's Labor Day weekend, but it's really only Friday evening and Saturday morning, very interactive, very exciting things to do. And so we're really going to focus on that. So if you're interested in that, we had originally said that it was going to be $50 for a while and then $75 after that. It's going to stay $50, so if that's been something keeping you back, please, please sign up. We think it's going to be a lot of fun and really worth being at. Now, this morning, I, I want to begin by saying this. If patriotism is a sign of loyalty, some of you are incredibly loyal, and some of us are selectively loyal, Okay? And so I've got some pictures here of, of incredible loyalty, incredible patriotism. You know, some of you have your American flags in your front yard, and you're very, very proud of that. Some of you have Packers flags in your front yard. And Wisconsin's like another country. Anyway, I say that. I'm a Cowboys fan, so I, I really don't have quite the rivalry, although it was a catch. Yeah. So there we go. Um, so some of you are like that. Some of you were enlisted in the military, and so you have decals on the back of your car that talk about what battalion you were in or what, what group you were a part of or what branch you, you uh, were enlisted in. Some of you have decals from your vacation in Canada uh, that, <laughs> that point out the name of a resort or something. It's not nearly as patriotic. doesn't send nearly the same message. Some of you have Lee Greenwood's greatest hits in your CD player right now. Some of you are Googling Gr Lee Greenwood right now, and that's okay. That's, that's really okay. I am not very patriotic, I, and that's, that's not to say anything against people who are. I'm about as patriotic as French fries, uh, and you know, I only have one patriotic piece of clothing, and it's from Brian Reitman, who is traveling to Canada because that's where he's from, and he brought me an Old Navy t-shirt that has a Canadian flag on it. That is my only piece of patriotic clothing that I own. I've only been asked this question one time, but I take great pride in it. Someone actually asked me if I was from another country. I took it as a compliment, although they were asking that because I was acting strange and was wearing strange clothing. I'm a little bit socially awkward sometimes, but that's okay. I have a feeling that a lot of you are like me. Patriotism's fine, it's good, uh, but it's just not something that you feel deep within your soul until the Olympics. Until the Olympics. We go from I don't care about America to Captain America in a hurry. Like we, we stand for all of these things. We stand for America. Our patriotic meter goes from basically empty to overflowing for two weeks. 
We know everything about Katie Ledecky, even though we haven't heard her name in four years. We take great pride in this Lily King girl who, who says some really mean things about this Russian swimmer who lives in Los Angeles, which is funny in and of itself. But that feud with Russia makes us go back and watch Rocky IV, where it's Rocky against Ivan Drago, and, you know, it's, it's a movie we haven't seen in a while. We post on our Facebook about the newest four foot ten gymnastics girl, even though we haven't paid attention to gymnastics for quite some time. We may not be loyal all the time, but when the Olympics come around, we become loyal. Loyalty is important. Loyalty is very, very important. Last week, Patrick introduced our new sermon series on the people who made an impact on David. We're looking at people who deserve credit for who David was. And he looked at Samuel last week and told the story about how Samuel goes and anoints David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This week, we're going to look at Saul. Saul is an interesting character in and of himself, and we're going to look at that for a little bit this morning. I want to walk us through the story as it unfolds in scripture. So we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16 through 31. Uh, We're not really, but we could. That's how long the story is. Uh, But we're going to summarize it and talk about two different points. But as we're walking through this, I want you to ask two questions. And these are questions you can probably answer from the beginning, but, but watch how scripture unfolds them. Who is being loyal to God? Who is being loyal to God? And the second question, who is loyal to the other person? So your choices, of course, will be Saul or David. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10 tell the story of Saul being selected as king. You know what the Bible says about Saul? It says the same things that Patrick was talking about with Eliab last week. Saul is the guy that's ahead above everybody else. If he's standing in a crowd, you're not going to miss him. Saul is handsome as a king should be. Those are important characters or characteristics of Saul, but he's also a Benjamite. He's anointed by God. It actually says that God gives Saul another heart, which is a weird thing to say, but he all of a sudden has courage, all of a sudden has the ability to lead. So we skip ahead to where Saul and David are about to meet. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. This is what Patrick was reading last week. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Now, verse 14. Now, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Whoa. Okay. So, we begin by talking about Saul as the guy that God has anointed to be king. Samuel goes out. He picks Saul. It's going to be great. And then, all of a sudden, David has the Spirit of the Lord, and Saul has lost it. What happened? Saul was told through the prophet Samuel that he's supposed to go and destroy everything of the Amalekites, and he does not do it. Disobedience leads to Saul losing the presence of God, which is very, very important. So, we continue in verses 15 and following. Saul's servants said to him, See now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. When you can notice that just by looking at someone, that's a good sign that what they're saying is true. Let our, God, let our Lord now command the servants who attend you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will feel better. Now this is a good 
psychological tool. When things aren't going your way, sometimes you can listen to good music and you'll feel better. And so early on, that's what they say, this is what's going to happen. So verse 17. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me someone who can play well and bring him to me. Okay. One of the young men who just so happens to be there, who just so happens to know what's going on, answers, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. And that got cut off at the bottom, so I apologize for that. The Lord is with him. All they were asking for is somebody that could play music. (laughs) This is a ridiculous resume. This guy is being hired to play some music, and he is a man of valor, skillful in playing, a warrior, prudent in speech, man of good presence, and, oh, by the way, he has exactly what you don't. God is with him, not you. So this causes some issues. Saul needs David, so David is able to come in and and do the job. Saul is soothed by David. But by this story, the next thing that happens is 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is a story that most of you know fairly well. It's the picture that we've put up here for this series. David and Goliath. David and Goliath is such a fun story. What happens is that David was not playing the liar for Saul one day. He was at home with his dad. And so his dad says, hey, take some food to your brothers who are off fighting because, well, you're young and shouldn't be out there fighting. But you can deliver food. You'll be a good delivery boy. And so David goes and delivers food, and he walks up to the front lines of the battle, and everybody's scared, everybody's trembling, and out comes Goliath, and Goliath has some things to say about the army of Israel. And so what does David do? He says, who is letting this guy talk? Who's letting this guy say these things? And so when that happens, they go and tell Saul. So verse 31, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. Of course. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and will fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Okay. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. So, imagine that you're about this foot, this tall, and you're telling this story of how lions and bears have attacked you, and when they would jump and pounce toward you, you would grab it by the jaw and kill it, because, of course, God was with him. So Saul said, or David said, the Lord, oh wait, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. If you'll go back to the previous slide. There you go. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. So in verse 37, David continues, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul is kind of left to answer this question. How do you answer it? He says, go, may the Lord be with you. Saul is in a difficult place here. But David has God with him. And so 
just, we're not going to read the rest of the story, just so I know that you know. Who wins this battle? God. Good. I was hoping somebody would say that. I was hoping. Uh, the story is how God wins the battle, not David. So that's, there, that misconception is taken care of. So we get to chapter 18. Chapter 18 is the story of David and Jonathan all of a sudden. Jonathan enters the picture, but we're skipping ahead to verse 5. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. As a result, Saul set him over his army, and all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. Now that's an interesting story. There's an interesting element there, because who should be the commander of the army? It should be Jonathan, actually. But David, yeah, we'll put David in charge. As they were coming home, when David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out all of the towns, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. He's getting this huge parade as he enters into town, and women are literally throwing themselves around to celebrate Saul. And so he feels great about this until the next line. And the women sang to one another as they made merry. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. Of course he was. For the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that point on. You see how these characters are are morphing a little bit. Saul is the one that gives David the opportunities, but he kind of gives David the opportunities, hoping that David will fail, and all of a sudden David is doing really well. Because of something we know, right? The Lord is with David. So we get on to verse 10. The next day an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. So David's music's not working all of a sudden, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and he threw the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So, you know you're a bad musician when somebody throws a spear at you. And it happens twice. Verse 12. This verse struck me as strange. Saul was afraid of David. You know, David's the one whose life is being threatened over and over. But Saul is afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. It's never a good place to be in when you recognize that God is not with me. He is with this guy. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of a thousand. And David marched out and came in leading the army. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. It seems like the writer of 1 Samuel is just reiterating this point over and over and over again. Wanting you to recognize God is with one of these people and not the other. So verse 15, when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for it was he who marched out and came in leading them. So Saul's star is falling, and David's star is rising. And so Saul comes up with a few plans to take care of David. And this is where the story gets fun. Chapter 18, verses 20 through 30. Saul wants David dead, because, you know, that's his life goal now. Saul's daughter wants David. Her name's Michael. She's enamored with David. So David wants to be son-in-law to the king. Okay, so there's an arranged marriage here. This can work out. 
Saul sets the dowry price. And this price is that David has to bring back 100 Philistine foreskins, which is a strange request. But the idea is we're going to go send David to where he has to take on 100 Philistines. And if he's able to do this, that'll be fine, whatever. But we really think he's going to die in this situation. And so David goes out. He kills 100 Philistines. And Saul was David's enemy from that time forward. There's some highlights to the rest of the story. David's on the run, and he escapes twice. One time he escapes because Michael, his wife and Saul's daughter, lowers him out a window and plays a clever ruse. Another time when Jonathan sends him a secret signal with bows and arrows and this little boy that runs out. These two characters, Jonathan and Michael, if you want to do a really interesting study by yourself sometime, compare them. It's really, really fascinating stuff. Saul, or Jonathan has a lot of the feminine characteristics of the story, and Michael has some very masculine characteristics in this story. It's, it's a great study, so that was for free. It has nothing to do with Saul. Saul's pursuit of David does not end. Instead of fighting the Philistines or the pesky Amalekites, who he was supposed to completely destroy earlier anyway, Saul's singular focus is on David. And so Saul chases David everywhere. One day Saul is getting closer, and so David and his men have to go and they hide in this cave. And in the cave, Saul goes in to relieve himself, and while doing so, David cuts off the edge of his cloak. And as Saul is standing off about to leave, David walks out of the cave and says, Hey, Saul, look what I've got. Stop chasing me. I'm not going to kill you. So Saul keeps pursuing David, as he would, and they stop to rest for the night. And Saul is laying right here. His, his guard, Abner, is laying right next to him. And while resting, David and one of his men sneak into the camp. They take two of Saul's items, and they go back up the hill. And then they scream down, hey, Saul, hey, Abner, look what we've got. We walked right in. We could have killed you again, but we're not going to. That's not who we are. So Saul keeps chasing David, of course. David leaves Israel, and he joins the Philistine army. This is how bad it's gotten. Imagine, the story begins with, with David standing up to Goliath, right? The story begins with David standing up and doing what's right in the sight of Israel, right? With the God of Israel. And it's gotten so bad that David joins that opposing army. He doesn't fight in the battle on their behalf because the Philistines don't like him. But this story is taking some interesting turns. And so eventually we get to the story where God will not answer Saul. Saul is saying, okay, God, what's it going to take to get you back on my side? Saul will not be answered by God. So Saul consults a witch in this little town of Endor and conjures up a very dead Samuel. So there's this conjuring moment, and Samuel says, why are you waking me up? Why are you having me here? And Samuel tells Saul that he and his sons will die in battle tomorrow. And Saul and all but one son die in battle the next day. This story is intense. It goes from one scene to the next scene. And all along, Saul is chasing David. So if we're comparing these two characters, and I think that's the way we need to start this story, we need to go back to those two questions we have. Who is loyal to God? 
David, yay! I, I felt like we knew that from the beginning. And who is loyal to the other person? David. David never tries to kill Saul, which is a big part of this. So, this story is really interesting literarily. We're going to take a turn to the literary side of this for just a moment. So I know you kids haven't been in school. I know you've been at camp for a week, but, but try, to, try to think through this. Do you know what a foil character is? Saul is a foil character. Saul is a foil character. And what a foil character does is it shows the characteristics of another character. So that's why it exists. So I have two examples on the next slide. You have Sherlock and Watson. If you've ever seen the show or read the books or seen any of the thousands of shows that have made between Sherlock and Watson, Sherlock is a smart guy. He can, he can understand things just by looking at them very quickly. Watson is a little slower. And that is in order to show how smart Sherlock is. On the other side of it, Sherlock has zero common sense, right? He has zero common sense. But Watson is very smart in that regard. If you've seen the movie uh, The Lion King, which we got the pleasure to go see the musical a couple weeks ago. It was really cool, which is free. Again, free advice. Take it. Do what you want with it. Uh, Mufasa is this great king. He's the Lion King. It's, you know, it's kind of about him for a little bit. Mufasa's this great king, and Scar is this guy who just doesn't understand things the way that Mufasa does. You remember in the movie, there's the Circle of Life song, and, and in that part, Mufasa is showing young Simba what it is to be king, that, that you can't take certain things for granted, you can't do certain things. And so when Scar becomes king later on in the movie, everything goes terrible. That's the way that it goes. But when Simba becomes king, he's king like his dad. These characters are showing the different characteristics of each other. That's why they are there. What characteristic would Saul be showing of David? Saul highlights David's loyalty. That's why he's there. He's there to highlight David's loyalty. David's loyalty to God and David's loyalty to Saul. And so the question that we've been asking for the last couple weeks is this. How did Saul, how did this character influence David? That matters. How did this character influence David? I want for you for just a moment to put yourself in David's shoes. Not Saul's shoes, David's shoes. Saul is treating you very poorly. Like he's trying to kill you. You know, it's... It's not great. That's your father-in-law. That's the guy that you've worked for. That's your king. You're pretty high up in the government, but that's your king, and he wants you dead. How do you respond with loyalty and faithfulness? How do you do that in those situations? Is David just this good of a guy? You know, back in chapter 16, David had this great resume of all the different things that he was, but Nobody's this good, and if you know the rest of the story, David does some things that will remind you of Saul from time to time, especially once you get to Uriah and how that story goes. You think it's because David was responding kindly to someone who is treating him poorly because he knows that it will make Saul feel worse. Have you ever done that? Have you ever responded kindly to someone who is treating you poorly because you know it will make them feel worse? 
I have a couple times in my life that I'm willing to, you know, confess. Maybe that's what David was doing, just fueling the fire. It's one of those places where the Bible's really cool. If you're reading through the Bible, you'll notice that, that Saul actually has some mental activity going on. And David, it only gives him dialogue. So as you read the story, you only get what David is saying and what David is doing, but you never hear what David is thinking. Where with Saul, you get that over and over and over again. I think what we can take away is that David was clearly influenced by Saul. How could you not be? I believe that Saul was somewhat ignorantly putting David to the test, readying David for the life of being a king, kind of training David how not to be as a king. And all of this made David more loyal, not less. Parents, I think we can relate to this idea a little bit. Because we do this kind of thing sometimes, where we hear our kids repeat something that they should not. Or we see our kids do something that they should not, and we ask them, where did you learn that? Where did you learn that characteristic, that that thing that you just did? And the response is, I learned that from you. David is learning to be loyal by observing someone who is not loyal. So here's my big advice and challenge for this week. The takeaway from this sermon that I want you to have. I think we need to be aware of how our loyalty can be influenced. I think we need to be aware of how our loyalty can be influenced. So tonight, when you're tucking in your kids, be aware that you've influenced your kid a hundred times before this point. This isn't the first time that your kid is paying attention to you. If you saw the, the video that we started with this morning, it showed the dad on the computer saying, not right now, not right now. I do that all the time. And I have to ask myself, what am I instilling in my child? Is my child going to be more loyal to, loyal to God because of the interactions he has had with me? Is the child going to be more loyalty, loyal to me? Tonight, when you're around your buddies, be aware of how they're influencing you. Are you more loyal? To, loyal? I'm having a lot of trouble with this phrase. Are you more loyal to God as a result of being around these people or not? Are they more loyal to you as a result? As we read this story, it was very, very clear that David exhibits loyalty. Let me challenge you this week. Find ways to be loyal to God and find ways to instill loyalty in the people around you. Hand it over to Liam.